शिला गुरुदेव की जय श्रीमन महाप्रभु की जय श्री श्री दौजी गोपाल जी की जय ग्रंथराज श्रीमद भागवतम की जय श्री बेनुगीत की जय तिरुबाब महोत्सव तिथि श्री उदारण दातक ठाकुर की जय गौर भक्त वृंद की जय गौर प्रमान evening to all of you welcome and thanks for coming despite the long and intense day <laughs> but glorious one for sure so we are continuing with our series of lectures on sri venugit and today we are in our seventh meeting where will we we will be studying verse number 6 which is the last if you will introductory verse before officially starting with the venu gita itself with the song of the gopis hmm? but as usual let's make a brief hopefully brief recap of our previous meeting where we were studying the second part of the fifth verse which was which is a very important one hmm? maybe the most well known one verse in, in the whole venu gita hmm? where this Uh, mantra lila upas mantra lila mantra mai upasana is described hmm? mantra mai lila upasana is <laughs> krishna entering the forest um, and, and, and accompanied by all these defining attributes that make him who he is hmm? so we saw this verse in two classes the first one we just got to study the first line barha pidan natabar bapu karnay karni kadam no krishna having a a peacock feather crowning his head hmm? krishna having a body of the best of dancers and having one karnikar flower in his two ears uh, i won't repeat all the details that we already mentioned and in the previous lecture we studied the three remaining lines hmm? second line vibrad basha kanaka kapisham first which first which seem to have redundancies he's wearing a uh, cloth which is golden which is yellow and golden no? so the the apparent redundancy has to do with he's wearing all this in a special way he's in a special bhava he's trying to create some particular result with that and of course we also explain how the colors that the company krishna his cloth pitambara hmm? coincide with shirada now what he has inside he's expressing outside and vice versa shirada has shyam inside Asham outside, her clothes are that color as well. And then by Jayantim Chamalam, Krishna also is not accompanied only by Pitambara, but by Jayantimala, this all victorious garland you know, that has three specific flowers combined and which represents the victory, like the, the gold medal Olympics <laughs> a reward for someone who has made a real uh, victory, you know, the celebration of victory over. the brajabas's heart and about that he himself is gloriously defeated by their love as well that's reciprocal then we say third line ramdram benor adhara uh, sudaya purayam so sukadev is not just simply saying krishna play his flute but he filled the holes of his flute with the nectar of his lips and he would like to say more but what to do that's the meter of the verse 
and we share some words about the flute and how we should ourselves, if we want to create an analogy, should become like a flute, like let Krishna fill our holes, our defects, <laughs> with his nectar and, and, and create some song through us, basically. So we can be instrumental so he can create further Udipana through us, basically filling our holes. And we spoke about the other Amrita, the nectar of the lips of Krishna, different types of other Amrita, the nectar of his lips in the form of flute playing, in the form of remnants of food that he has eaten, remnants of uh, other type of remnant of his lips, direct kissing in the context of Madhurya Rasa mostly. And, well, how this other Amrita is, is totally captivating for, for the Braja Gopis. Then also this verse, Brindaranyan Swapada Ramanam, with his two feet, he's bestowing so much pleasure on the bulk force of Vrindavan by entering barefoot there, on something apparently harsh, the force of Vrindavan, but actually which becomes uh, the perfect playground chosen by the Absolute in his ultimate form to perform his most intimate pastimes. And we describe how the land of Braj was in charge of preserving Krishna's footprints and worshipping that Mother Earth in Vrindavan is crowning herself with her Sindur as a wife of Bhagavan is Krishna's footprints on her fourth forehead. Thank you. And Krishna not only choosing to walk barefoot there, but even eating Braja Raj. Now, Raj is another word for dust or, or, or Renu. Sometimes Vrindavan, it is a Atul Krishna Goswami, he's a famous pandit and scholar and he already passed away from the Radha Raman tradition and, and he used to mention this, you know, like make a play of words Vrindavan is famous, I think he mentioned four things, I can only recall three he was a Benu, Renu and Henu no? <laughs> so Benu is the flute Renu is the is the, the dust and Denu is the cows Kama Denu there was a fourth one, but at least those three are Quite enough to for making Brindavan quite well known. Also, we describe how the word pada, apart from referring to Krishna's feet, can refer to like to abode. So, Swapada Ramanam means this abode of Brindavan is about any other abodes of Bhagavan in other forms. Or pada may mean can mean also verses. So, also Krishna is entering the, the the forest adorned by the verses that his friends are reciting and while glorifying his entrance into the forest and so on. Mm -hmm the poetry of his own, swa, of the ones who are extensions of himself. And of course we also explain Vrindavan is glorious and its dust is glorious because it's also dust of the feet of Sri Radha and Krishna himself chooses to self-abhishek himself, <laughs> do self-abhishek uh, with the dust of, of her own feet. Mm -hmm. And basically we concluded with the last part, we say Gopa Vrindai Pravishat Gita Kirti. No? So accompanied by the multitude of Gopas, of friends, he entered the forest with his glories being sung, as we mentioned. Some acharyas may will sing the gopas were the ones singing the glories. Others will say the devas are singing the glories of Krishna, throwing flower petals from the sky and so on. Mm -hmm. uh, or, or again, some commentators will say specifically the Priyanarma Sakas are singing to Krishna about Sri Radha in a particular way, noting that Krishna is exhibiting a particular bhava. So he needs some particular kirtan to nourish that bhava and so on. <laughs> and we also concluded mentioning two other verses in the Bhagavatam, which are similar to this one, one recited by Brahma, the first one in Brahma Stuti, and one recited by the Dvijapatnis. 
like we mentioned, compared the three and how the other two were recited in certain, a certain mixture, if you will, of some level of Aishwarya, if you will, while in this particular case we are finding the topmost Madhuri of Raj being expressed, making this verse unique among all the other ones. So, that's it. We will continue today with verse number six, for those who have it there. Uh, I will recite, we can recite. It says like this. Here we will see how the nectar of divine love is floating the gulpis' hearts. This is a previous verse to the official beginning of Benugit. Iti Benuravam Rajan Sarvabhutamanoharam Shrutva Brajasriyaha Sarva Barnayantyo Bhire Bhire the translation says, remember that Sukadev is speaking to Raj Parikshit, O king, when the young ladies of Imbraj heard the sound of Krishna's flute, which captivates the minds of all living beings, they all embraced one another and began describing it. So after that will begin their description of the sound of the flute, the Venu Gita. But First, we will share today some, some thoughts, some ideas regarding this particular verse. Let's define it a little bit word by word. Remember the importance of every single word in every section of the Bhagavatam. So the verse is saying, Iti Benu Ravam Rajan. So Iti means in this way. Now I give the straight general translation, they will enter more in detail. So Iti means like thus, or in this way, something like this. Venuravan, Venuravan means the sound of the flute. Ravan means sound. So the sound of the Venu. Venuravan, Rajan. Rajan means walking, no? like Nripa, like when Sukadev before said Nripa. In Sanskrit you find many words, many different words for one same word, and many similar words for different words. <laughs> so you have to know what's the particular context to understand what they mean. So Rajan means walking. Then we have Sarva Bhuta, which means all living beings, all Bhutas. Bhuta means in this case living entities, Sarva all. Mano Haram. So Mana Haram. Mana means mind and Hara means Haram, steel. So which steals the minds. Basically referring to the flute, stealing the minds of all living beings. Then third line says Shrutva Brajas Tiraha, Striya, sorry, Sarva. So Shrutva means after hearing. Remember Shruti, Ashrutya, all these words similar have to do with hearing. Brajas, Triyaha, Sarbaha. All the ladies hmm, abiding in the village, basically refers here. Sarva means all, Striya means ladies, and Braja refers to the village of Braj, where the gopis are. Remember, Krishna is in the forest, the gopis are in the village. And Varnayantyo, Abhire, Abhire. When you have this, how do you say in English? Apostrophe in Spanish? Okay. <laughs> Sometimes things are easier than what you think. So, it's like an abbreviation, but generally there is one letter there. So, in the verse it says, Bire, Bire, but it's Abire, Bire. So, Barnayantya means while describing. So, while the gopis were describing the sound of the flute, Abire, Bire, means they embraced. And the implications, as we will see, is among each other while doing so. 
So we'll try to share some thoughts about why is this happening in that way, and what's the background of that, and so on. So let's begin with the first word, <coughs> iti. <coughs> so again, iti means in this way. So generally, <coughs> a word like iti, <coughs> there are many verses in, in Bhagavatam and in the Gita even that will begin with iti. So iti implies like sequence and connection. So the word iti is connecting what is being said in this verse with, with all that has been said before. So in this way, it's connect, connecting previous verse especially. Remember, Jiva Goswami said the fifth verse and the sixth verse should be seen as a unit. We were not able to do that. I have to see only one of the two verses in two classes, so what to speak of making all in one unit. But he established this connection. Like he first gives this Krishna meditation, as we shared in verse 5, and iti. In this way, you know, like considering such a darshan the gopis were having, including the sound of the flute, the reaction was, the result was that. But also the word iti can connect not only what has been said before, but what is being said here from now onwards. No? So towards the back and towards past and future, if you will, something like that. So the in this way also will refer, after the gopis heard the flute, in this way, no? they heard the flute in a particular way, this will happen. So it's the two meanings. No? After this happened, in this way they reacted like that. In this way, this will happen in the future as well. And again, the word Rajan comes here, as we mentioned. The word Rajan with his O King. So it, it's, the commentators mentioned this is the same application that than previous verses when the word Nipa appeared. Maybe you remember. At least two verses. And Sukadev says to Pariksit, Nipa, O King. And, and, and the commentators say this is the same situation, the same intention. Sanatana Goswami says that Sukadev Goswami got up, taking Parekshit by the hand. You can imagine the, the scene. <laughs> and hugged him affectionately. So try to imagine, no? the lecturer is giving the kata and suddenly stands up and starts to embrace the audience, no? ecstatically, and both of them are crying. Hmm? So basically this is the, the context here when Sukadev says, Oh, king. So it's not only a word, but something is going on in relation to that word. It's not just saying, Oh, Kishore, Oh, Shemananda. The Oh, Shemananda implies some action behind that expression. So the, the action here is Sukadev is embracing the king. Why? Because, remember, no? Sukadev is trying to enter into the, also into the, the emotional tension of the situation. Pariksit Maharaj has been cursed to die in one week. And at this, at this point, they say that five days have already passed. So only two days remain, and there is a deadline, literally. <laughs> no. So, as Sukadev Goswami knows this, and he's appreciate, deeply appreciating the absorption of his disciple, Pariksit Maharaj. No, he's hearing with such gravity and such absorption, and he's getting closer and closer to his perfection in Sravan. Remember, Pariksit Maharaj is our Sravanakya Guru. Among all the novel action bhakti or the nine main limbs, angas of bhakti, sravan, kirtan, vishnu, and so on, first is sravan, and for each one of them there is, uh, how to say, like an 
perfect example that attained perfection through that, through that particular limb. So the one in connection with Shravan is Pariksit Maharaj. No? So still there are two days for him to reach, to bear the fruit of that perfection. But Sukadev Goswami is just like seeing, it's just a matter of time, just two days. No? My disciple is about to be fully successful. He will die in two days, but he will die to live. <laughs> so Sukadev Goswami is really appreciating that. He's having like a, a trailer of all that will happen in just two days. So he cannot help by, but himself and just stand and start to embrace Parikshit. Oh, King, <laughs> I love you so much. Because that's how a guru feels when he she is seeing a disciple taking the matter seriously. So that's important to know. Also, if you may know, Raj, generally Raj, if you want to apply the term to a to a king from this world, Parikshit was one of them, world emperor. So king is someone who is conquering territory uh, outside, on the outside, if you will, in this world, conquering land, places. You become Raj, you become king. And sometimes Acharya said, but although here the word is Raj, it's just Raj for the sake of of meter. But actually he is Maharaj, for example. And the Acharyas will say, Maharaj, the Raj is the one who conquers territory outside. Maharaj is the one who conquers territory inside. <laughs> and that, that's also Maharaj Pariksit. He's one of them as well. Sometimes Maharaj is synonymous with Goswami, similarly. You know, the one who's conquering or becoming master of, of the inside, basically. Instead of trying to rule outside, you know, most people want to change the world or to rule the world. Sometimes change the world is another way of saying trying to control the world. <laughs> To change it so it works how I like, so it's still I want to control, so there's not much change. And some other people try to control the inner land, the inner landscape and territory. Mm -hmm. So Pariksit Maharaj is such a king because he is a king in the ordinary sense of the term. He was the emperor of the world even, so he was not just like a little uh, fellow in charge of like a few ten acres of, of in India, but he was the emperor of the whole world, the glorious descendant of the Pandavas. I mean, we cannot like conceive the extent of his realm and reign and so on. But he left it all, as we always say. No? I mean, it's relatively easy to be a renou renounce the world when you don't have anything. <laughs> <laughs> Like you are a homeless person, say I will accept sannyas. <laughs> oh, well, okay. <laughs> I mean, we will give you garland or something, but <laughs> but you are not renouncing that much if you already do not have anything. So you follow. But if you have everything, and you renounce that everything, oh, that's another thing. Because many people do not have anything, but they want everything. Still, they are full of desire. They are frustrated. They are wanting this, that, but they cannot. Okay, Parishit Maharaj had everything, but when he knew only five days, seven days to live, immediately, leaving aside kingdom, family, money, position in the world, and just absorbing himself in Harikata till the last breath. And again, he has just few days. Sukadev Goswami is saying he only has two days. He knows he he will pass away, pass pass away in two days. And he's totally undisturbed. I mean, he's too, I mean, he's not aware that he's passing away. Into, he's aware, but he's not aware. I mean, he's so absorbed in Harikata. <laughs> he, 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 death 
falls behind that. I mean, it's, it's something that was left behind a long time ago. So try to imagine that. Try to try to put yourself in the shoes of Pariksit Maharaj, basically. Of course, that's a great blessing to know when you are leaving this world, because most none of us have any, a clue when that will happen. And we may still, as we spoke the other day, living like today is not the last day, tomorrow is not the last day, the day after tomorrow is not the last day. And I have, I, I'm relatively young, at least 70, 80, but maybe you're walking, going to Daujikun, and almost, <laughs> one day before receiving mantra, and almost. <laughs> So Krishna is sending reminders, like, every day can be the last day, so be careful, be serious about that. So what if you know that? I mean, in one sense you may say, well, that's a blessing, but it's a blessing if you know how to deal with that information. Because many people may go crazy. They tell, you have only seven days, five days, it's like, what to do now? But Pariksimaras knew, like, four days, three days, two days... (laughs) But he was totally undisturbed. So Sukadeva Goswami again is appreciating how the Raj, the Maharaj, is absolutely engrossed in his hearing and totally empathic with what's going on in the Gopis' hearts. Again, he's not thinking I will die in two days. He's just concerned about what's going on in the Gopis' hearts. <laughs> so you pick which channel you want to see. No? You you pick in which part symphony of the radio you want to align yourself. No? Only two days, and I have some. What's going on in the hearts of the Brajavasis? How can I enter there and serve them there and so on? So, in this case, Pariksit is totally absorbing in identifying with what the, even though we are not, I'm not trying to posit uh, Pariksit Maharaj also got Manjari Baba, I'm not saying that. <laughs> but his hearing was such that even though he has his own affinity, whenever he was hearing different sections, he will connect emotionally with all of them. It's not like, ah, oh, that's not my Baba. Go to the next section. No, he was really into that. So, this is a section where the gopis are again totally captivated by the sound of the flute. So, Deraj is absorbed in that, and Sukadev is absorbed in seeing the absorption of his student. No? So that's a very beautiful scene. No? That happens also. The guru will see his student so absorbed, and, and the guru will get more absorbed. And each of them will like reciprocate each other, nourish each other with their own absorption. And that's a very nice dakshina to offer to Srila Gurudev. No? That's what Krishna is asking in the Gita again, Manmana, give me your mind. Give me your mind means give me your absorption. Absorb your mind in me. Give me your absorption. Give me your attention. That's for me. And so on. So, in that connection, <laughs> the verse continues describing the Venu, the Venu Nad, no, or the sound of the Venuravam, the sound of the flute, as Sarva Bhuta Manoharam. So you may have heard this word Manoharam, that's the name of Krishna actually, Manohar, who means the one who steals the mind. So Sarva Bhuta Manoharam. So Krishna is known as a, as a, as a thief, there is no need to, to further enter into details. <laughs> I mean, Krishna is, is a thief in every sense of the term. I mean, he's known for stealing butter. Uh, he's known for stealing the clothes of the gopis. He's known for stealing what not. I mean, stealing the hearts of the Vrajavasis. He's, as Mahaprabhu, stealing the, the luster of Sri Radha. Stealing, stealing, stealing. Yeah. So here the gopis are describing the sound of the flute, Asarba Bhutamanoharam. Like an extension. I mean, birds of the same feather flock together. 
Krishna is a thief, the flute associates with Krishna so intimately becomes a thief as well. Because Manoharam is Krishna. Krishna is Manoharam, the flute inherits hmm, those attributes and becomes also Manoharam. Sarvabhuta Manoharam, which means of all living entities, of all living beings. Hmm. There is a very nice composition called Sri Chaugragyastakam. Chaugragyastakam. Okay, I, I, okay, I read it. Sometimes they like make it shorter because it's quite long. <laughs> we are speaking about the same composition. Maybe some of these days we can sing. It's very nice. It's similar to the Madurastakam in the sense that it's like repeating. Sweet, 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 sweet. This one is thief, 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 thief. <laughs> steal, you steal this, you steal this, you steal this. The song is all that only. You steal this, you steal that, you steal this, you steal this, you steal... That's it, the whole song, basically. So that's a very nice one. <laughs> but again, as Guru Maharaj always likes to share this nice story that Srila Siddhar Maharaj once told him, we celebrate his theft. Now, that's a glorious, even though it may sound weird, in this world of where morality is appreciated at least by some, we are worshipping a God that is a thief. So this brief story where two policemen were in India and one of them say, well, it's, it may be complicated that our God is a thief. I mean, we are policemen. We are trying to, to avoid theft. And, but we are worshipping the topmost thief. And only we are speaking about theft here. We are not speaking about Krishna being a liar, womanizer, and other designations. Now let's stop at thief only. <laughs> and the other person, of course, say, no, it's not a problem. Actually, it's a solution to all problems. Why? And as Guru Maharaj likes to say, because a thief does not care for high walls or no locked doors. And those are precisely the things that we have built around our hearts. Uh, trying to make sure that nobody's entering and plundering there. But, again, Krishna is a thief. That's our hope. He's a thief, so he doesn't care for all these obstacles that we ourselves have put between him and us. So he will jump those walls, enter the lock, will know the passwords, will hack them. He has contacts. So our hope is that Krishna is a thief. So it's not a problem, but it's the greatest of our hopes. So again, here we are celebrating. The gopis, again, it may seem that they are criticizing all oh, this flood is stealing the minds, but actually they are saying, Kijai, I mean, great. <laughs> but here the verse is saying, the bear, the gopis are saying, the sound of the flute is Sarva Bhuta Manoharam. So it's not only something that steals our minds, but they are witnessing this stealing the minds of everyone here. Every living entity, not only human brajavasis, but birds, plants, trees, inanimate objects. We will see that along the, the Benu Gita, how the flute affects every single species in Braj. Hmm? So all the human Brajavasis, boys, young, old, everyone. Sarva Bhuta means everyone, basically. And hmm? filling their hearts according to the level of their particular bhav. Hmm? In Sri Rupa Goswami, similarly, his uh, <clears throat> Bhaktira Sambrita Sindhu, he describes the flute as Trijagamanasa Krishi, which means something that attracts the minds of Trijaga, of the three planetary system, all creation. The mind of all creation is magnetized, like drawn to that direction. Everyone. Sometimes poetically to say like Ananta says, 
is depicted as being below the whole creation, sustaining the whole creation on, on, on his on his head, and doing that pretty doing pretty fine with that, not having that much of a problem, equilibrium or something like that. But when the flute sound comes, hmm, an antecesmi comes a little dizzy or something. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> Mm-hmm. With this sound of the flute, this Bamsi, Bamsi Duhani, another name for Venu, Venunad. Or Shiva also, no? like when he's dancing, Shiva is depicted, as we already mentioned, as Nataraj, but the sound of the flute makes him forget like his dancing steps. No? At one point, like, what to do now? He becomes, again, some form of dizziness in that connection. Mm-hmm. Or Brahma, who is generally depicted as reciting the Vedas, four Vedas, with his four heads. And he starts to mess up the mantras and forget the mantras and p- put the accent in the wrong place when the flute is entering and so on. Or Lakshmi, who is perpetually massaging the feet of Narayana. And at one point, the sound of the flute comes and no more massage session there. No more feet. Of la- okay. Maybe I should join Rasalila. <laughs> or Jamuna Devi, who is flowing. It's a river, it's liquid. Sometimes becomes contradicts her nature. In different forms, he becomes like ice, stop moving, or start flowing backwards. You generally do not see that, no? Like a river going like this and going like that. <laughs> no? But all, as we will see along the verses, how the different uh, natures of the inhabitants of Raj become inverted by the sound of the flute. Hmm? So the gopis know the effect of the flute and they try to take some care so they are not that plundered by the sound of the flute. It is say that the gopis put earrings in their, on their ears, and those earrings are constantly moving, so making making some sound. So, so the, the idea here is, so those will be like, like jibe jibe, if you will, some form of gatekeepers, who will keep sounding, so that sound will keep not the other sound for entering. No? So they will, the, the gate, like if you are have a, a valuable treasure somewhere and you pay to two people, you, you stay at the door and take care of that. Oh, the people will do their job during the day, but at night they will say, well, everyone is sleeping now, so I think. <laughs> and they will also enter into samadhi, basically. No? <laughs> so similarly, the gopis at the end of the day, they have all the all the day, all day long the, the earrings there protecting their ears. I mean, it's a way of saying, of course, it's not that during the day they are not hearing the flute. But in the night they put out the, the earrings and they go to sleep and they say, okay, the guardians now are over. And the flute enters into the night, not yet so much, but we'll see in Rasa Lila, it's like, that's the standard. Not during the night, it's like, flute is coming and the gardens are not there. And the flute is calling them over and over again. And that's why, for example, in Rasa Lila, when Krishna played the flute, as you may know, the gopis go to meet him, finally, for the first time. And Krishna, like, saw, no, he's playing a flute in this beautiful autumn night, full moon in the forest and all these beautiful damsels camp and he's so inspired but he, he sees all the gopis and say like to what you are doing here what what brings you all you ladies simultaneously to the, to the same spot at this time of the year at this time of the night it's night I mean society won't look nice upon nicely upon us if they know that the, better you go back home you know, Krishna starts to churn their hearts with this. But they, he asks them, that, what are you doing here? 
and basically the Gopis are telling him, we came to bring, to, 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 to have our property back, basically. Sarvabhuta Manoharam. You play your flute, you, you stole our property, our heart, the treasure of our hearts, our prem. You took that, you enter into the chamber there, the flute sound enter, and took everything. So now we are coming to have our property back. And there the whole conversation unfolds. There's also one nice explanation that is given by Srinath Chakravarti, which is uh, the guru of Kavi Karnapur, also a well-known commentator of the Bhagavatam. He interprets Sarvabhuta Manoharam slightly in a different way. He says that not so much that the song of the flute was captivating to all of all minds, of course, also, as well, but that the gopis described the song of the flute in such a way that their description was stealing the minds of every living being. No? So the Sanskrit lends itself to that flexibility of interpretation. And so in this case, the emphasis is put on the song of the gopis, no? not so much of the song of the flute from Krishna, but the song of the gopis about the, the flute of Krishna, how that's captivating to everyone else which is true as well. All these interpretations are equally possible. So, <clears throat> so the gopis <clears throat> describe, hear this, this sound of the flute that captivates every living being, and again, abire, abire. Um, while describing that song, as we will see in the Venu Gita, abire, abire, they embrace each other. So there are many, many meanings to this idea of why they, why they embrace each other. So we will try to elaborate on that. That will be mostly our last point here. And for this, of course, we have to to remember again the the parakya life of the gopis, basically, you know, which is starting to blossom in this section of the Bhagavatam. And this Venugita is the first official main chapter in the Bhagavatam, which starts to... The, unfold the Madhurya Rasa section of the 10th canto. So remember, Parakya Bhav means Abahita Bhav, sometimes it's called. Abahita means like to hide. So the, they had to hide their mood for Krishna. They cannot make it public, as we know. It's a, there's lots of secrecy. There's a lot of uh, confidentiality, clandestine dynamics in their love. That's how Lila Shakti is creating this Parakya. So they cannot like make it public. Again, they cannot run and embrace Krishna in the midst of the forest, in the midst of the whole uh, village of Raj. They cannot do what everyone else is doing. Try to imagine this. That, that's the situation of the gopis. That's why Rupa Goswami makes them in a separate category. Sambandarupa Bhakti, Kamarupa Bhakti. <laughs> so Sambandarupa means Krishna has a relationship with servants, with friends, with parents. And they reciprocate with each other in a natural way in front of everyone, and it's perfect. Mother should love the child, child should love the mother, friend should love the friend, servant should serve the master, and the master should reciprocate. And everyone is seeing that, and it's okay. But the gopis should not, should not, quote unquote, according to the <laughs> so called morality, should not be loving Krishna because they are married with someone else, and so on and so on. But they do. So. That cannot happen openly in the dynamics of the Lila. So 
the gopis are day after day seeing everyone is embracing Krishna, speaking with Krishna, expressing their love for Krishna, and Krishna is reciprocating with them in front of everyone else except for us. So everyone else can do that. We cannot do that. So you try to imagine how all this starts to boil in the gopis' heart. Sometimes the, the parakya love of the gopis is, is compared to a, <coughs> how do you call it in English, like a pressure cooker? Pressure cooker? <laughs> That it's, it doesn't seem seems nothing is happening. It's just closed there, but so much steam steam you say is building there, no? building building. But nothing comes out. It's like nothing. But something some how is in English like whistles. Mm. <laughs> Explodes here and there no? from the coming from the pressure cooker. So it's, it's it cannot contain that much. It's too much. <laughs> has to come out in some form. So one of those whistles is the Venu Gita. We will find six main whistles of, the, of that sort of the Parakya type in, in, the, in the Bhagavatam, which are these things, six songs of the gopis. Venu Gita, Pranaya Gita, Gopi Gita, Jugal Gita, Viraha Gita, and Brahmar Gita. So each one of them are like these six, like, six whistles of the pressure cooker of the Parakya Bhav of the gopis. So again, everyone can express their love in Braj publicly for Krishna, except the gopis, who love Krishna like nobody else, totally, extremely, passionately, but they cannot make that. They have to hide it. Try to imagine, you know, you have the most extreme love, but it's at the same time the most forbidden one. You know? So, it's something so intense. It's not that, the point is, try to understand that. I mean, generally, it may be difficult to understand because we don't have prem. So we don't have a clue what does it mean to live with that erupt that volcanic eruption wanting to come out at every single moment. Because if you really love Krishna, not someone, but Krishna, <laughs> I mean, how can you contain that? I mean, it's, so, it's like overwhelming. It's overflowing you at every moment. And what to speak, if you are speaking about the most extreme of, of that love, which at the same time has to be totally come secret and forbidden. You have to manage that. I mean, at every moment that wants to explode and make eruption, somehow you have to work with that in such a way that nobody in the village suspects that you have that stuff. I mean, some suspicion is there, but, <laughs> but it never comes more beyond that. So it is said that in, in the midst of that predicament, of the gopis feeling that thing, not being able to express that outside, they start to embrace each other. Like, like, like empathizing with each other, knowing the predicament in which my friend is. She loves Krishna so much, she cannot express that. We have not been able yet to meet with him officially. So they start to embrace each other. Like, give support to each other in their love for Krishna. It's not like they are jealous. I love Krishna. You cannot love him. Only one. I am her I mean, In this world, that's... Another quote, you know, romantic love generally is not shared by more than one person. <laughs> one on one, but it's not like, oh, I have like 16,000 lovers. And my wife will understand, no problem. <laughs> but we see that here they are nourishing each other. Like when Shirada was taken by Krishna in the Rasalila, as you know, and all the gops are looking for Krishna, they met finally Shirada, who has been left by Krishna for certain reasons. 
And it's not that they feel happy, oh, he left her now, she was our rival. Now they totally empathize with her and take shelter in her and try to accompany each other and they start to do Sankirtan together in separation from Krishna. Mm-hmm. So, so in this way, you know, the gopis at this point, again, they have not met, they are in Purvarat, they have not met with Krishna. They are feeling so intense, so much intense love and separation from him. And eventually we will see why Krishna rewards them every single night with Rasa Lila. Because during the day they suffer so much not being able to, to meet with him practically. Of course in the midday at one point that will happen for a while. But during the rest of the day the gopis have to create the whole scenery. <laughs> but at night Krishna is fully theirs, if you will, in that sense. Like he's giving his whole night, like, okay, during the day we cannot meet, we have the whole night for us, basically. And Rasalila is there to reward the gopis. Hmm? Hmm? But again, for now, there's no Rasalila yet. So Krishna is basically telling them, you cannot meet me at night, but my flute song will be your companion by now. So Krishna is trying to support them and maintain, keep them alive. Basically, the Chara sometimes describing those terms, no? Try to keep them alive in separation. <laughs> it's difficult to keep alive, to keep oneself alive. That's, that means when you some you really love someone and you cannot be with the object of your love and serve that object of your love. I mean, life has no meaning, basically. Another, another acharya described that the gopis embrace each other because in their ecstasy of their love, they start to feel that that some of their, the gopis were Krishna himself. So they were feeling like they were embracing Krishna. That, that's described in some parts of the Bhagavatam also. Tanmanaskatta matadalapastad bichesatadatmikatadgunami bhagayantum madgayanti and so on. That the gopis sometimes with their minds, they remember Krishna with their bodies, they imitated their lilas and so on. They start to speak about him. They got Tadatmiya, totally engrossing him. Some of the gopis even say, I'm Krishna. Not Mayabad, but in their ecstasy of empathy and identification, some of them say, I'm Krishna. And the other one started like, to play Putana, and the other gopi was Krishna killing Putana, and so on. Imitate all different leelas of Krishna. Hmm. Or also the, na- the, the nature of the embrace is that some of the gopis could understand, oh, you are feeling the exact same thing that I'm feeling. So we are feeling the same thing. You have, or some of them express what they are feeling, and the other gopi will say, you have just expressed what it what was in my heart. You kind of read my innermost chamber of my heart, and you just describe perfectly in words. How could you know my inner secrets so well? So one gopi is embracing the other and crying in separation. Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur says something similar. He says in the commentary, On account of perceiving that each girl had the same type of realization, the girls had hugged, hugged one another. So the same point. They perceive we are in the same channel, basically. We are feeling the same thing. And again, it's not that I'm jealous of you. Oh, I love Krishna, I love Krishna. But they start hugging each other. They're revealing their mind. They're sharing their hearts and mind in, in, in proper sadhu sangha, in proper association. Krishna says, "Machita matkata prana, budhayanta parashvaram katayantas chamam nityam tu This applies here. 
That's a very nice definition of Sadhu Sangha. He's given. He says, My devotees have always, ultimately, this applies to this situation. My devotees have their minds and hearts absorbed in me. They enlighten one another by speaking about me. They nourish each other and they increase their, the taste of their experience while sharing about me, absorbed in me. So that's totally applicable here. Hmm? So the gopis are sharing confidentiality because the things are not to be shared in a cheap way. Narutam Dasaku will say, Apana bhajana kata na kahivo jata tata, which means, do not reveal the secrets of your bhajan here and there. Well, like, do not make, make a cheap show and open an Instagram account and share your, oh, today I felt this and I saw that and so on. Now, this is to be shared in, in Sajatiya Sadhu Sangha, Snigdasya Sajatiya and so on. Svatavara Rupa Goswami describes, Sadhu Sangha should be, he mentions three things, Svajatya, Svatavara and Snigdasya. This is for Krishnangi who likes to write all these categories. Mm-hmm. So she's writing all of them. So if you lose some of them, you go to her and you ask the list after the 108 points that I'm torturing you with in my class. <laughs> so three types, three qualities of Sadhu Sangha, he says. No? Sajatya, which means you have to... Have, I mean, there are different types of Sadhu Sangha, of course. You can relate with all devotees. You should, hopefully, in different ways. But here speaking with... Strictly speaking, the word Sangha means a type of relationship that is really so close and intimate that starts to transform you. It's mu- there's mutual transformation in association. If there's not much intimacy, there's not much transformation. It's more general. And it's okay. I mean, you can have full intimate relationship with every single Vaishnava you cross and you. There's no time for You need time for going deep into any relationship. <laughs> But it's good to have those relationships with some Vaishnav. So, Swajatiya is the first one, which means he, has, he or she has to be from the same Jati, which means the same family. And family means like the same nature, like same nature, same DNA, if you will. No, you have to really feel, yeah, we speak the same language here. Swajatiya. We are in the same channel. <laughs> then Snigdasya. Snigdasya means affectionate. The person has to be affectionate. It has to be affectionate dealings based on trust and confidence and some same okay, nature and ideal and mood. And of course, same mood can have so many levels of application. You can even apply that to same affinity for some bhava eventually when you are more advanced. But it can be also on some other levels as well. And Swatavara means with people who is more advanced than you. Which is also important to look the association with more advanced devotees. Sometimes too much more advanced may be overwhelming. You have to know also how to deal with advancement, if you will. And it's nice to be connected with extremely advanced Vaishnavs, but sometimes on a daily basis, you have to have a capacity with dealing with someone extremely advanced every single day of your life. Sometimes in those cases, you can be closer to the boats who are still more advanced, but maybe not that more advanced. So it's not that overwhelming. <laughs> hmm. So so the gopis here are, are, are going through that experience. They are relating to each other in a very affectionate way. They are of, of a similar nature. They have a similar, again, realization, attraction. Hmm. So And they feel, oh, you are expressing what's in my heart. Hmm. Like Guru sometimes shares. That's the experience of being in front of your guru. Well, he or she's 
telling all the things that are in your heart, and you never found the words to express them. Here we quote one song, that's Killing Me Softly or something, no? and that song that's described. The, I, I never knew that song, but I got to know by Kumaras. <laughs> that the person you are hearing someone singing in one stage, and the person is singing all your life in song, and you are like, I mean, how does he know all that? <laughs> of course, in another context, no? so we are going to, to that particular so you find those things, you know, when you are properly attuned, or sometimes the disciple is so attuned with his guru, it is described that he or she will know what the guru will say right after what he's saying. You know, like it's a natural like connection, flow that oh yeah, it's going here, it's going you know, something like this. I remember recent, recently a, a god brother of Guru Maharaj passed away, and he shared some words in social media, and he will mention that he said that at some point. We didn't even have to share words. They were quite committed with distributing Prabhupada's books and those times, and they were really into that. He, he mentioned that we, we, we just needed to look at each other in, in, in the eyes. And our commitment for, for serving Srila Prabhupada was totally clear in, in us, and we didn't, know, we didn't need to say anything. We, we, we were just so much attuned with that mood of service and pleasing our Gurudev. And we just need to see each other and share what was going in our hearts in, in, in that attempt of service and something like that, no? So, we should experience, no? That's, that's how we should experience Harikata, Sadhu Sangha, with certain people, at least in certain moments. I mean, it's, 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 it sounds magical, but it is magical. It's not something that sounds... But we should get to that point no? of dedication and, and, and connection with other dedicated souls. That, again, sometimes words get in the way, they say. You know? <laughs> and again, Srinath Chakravarti, he gives in his purport, in his commentary to this verse, interestingly, he first gives a detailed description of many gopis and different types of groups of gopis present here, not only Radha and her group, but there were many groups. And then he says, those ladies who had the same disposition began a description which involved a mutual embrace with those who had a similar disposition. All of this will become clear in Rasa Lila, where also different groups are, are described. So those are some options to understand this Abire Bire, they embrace each other. Sridhar Swami, the famous ancient commentator, explains Abire Bire, saying, the gopis embraced Krishna through each of the words they pronounce in their song. Like more poetically mentioned, each one of the songs they will sing are their embrace to Krishna. Not necessarily they are embracing each other physically, but their song is their embrace. If, if I sang, if I love someone, I sang a song, a love song, love song to that person, and it's really surcharged with love. The person will feel wow. embraced by the song. Not necessarily you need a physical embrace. Baladev Vidyabhushan mentioned that Christian, that the gopis in this moment embrace Krishna within their hearts. That's another way of understanding. Not necessarily necessarily applies embrace each other. It can be applied they embraced the word embraced. So they embraced Krishna in their hearts while singing. And Sanatana Goswami mentioned that the gopis embraced the sound of the flute. So different direction with embrace. You know? Each other, Krishna in their hearts, through each of the words of the song, they heard the sound of the flute and internally they embraced the sound of the flute. They adhere, adhered the sound of the flute to their hearts. No? 
So that's extreme, the extreme emotional conditioning in, in which the gopis are, are. I mean, I know it's difficult to imagine, but we have to at least try to imagine, get closer a little bit at least to where, from where, from which stage, from which emotional stage they are sing, will sing this Gopi Gita. So remember, for a moment, due to ecstasy, they were at the loss of words. They didn't know what to say or they were not able to speak. But after some time, now we are about to begin Benu Gita, so the Gopis will regain. Their throat will, will be back, if you will. <laughs> and some of their emotions from the whistle of the pressure cooker will come down for a moment. And somehow they will regain their composture and will be able to, at least for some verses, to say something. <laughs> Eventually they will get be caught again, choked up. So, in the next verse that will happen. Next verse will begin with the, officially with the Benu Gita, with the first verse, which is a very, very nice verse, very well-known one. This Benu Gita has many famous verses. And the next one is very nice, which includes Daoji Gopal, interestingly. So, you have to prepare for that one tomorrow. But, before finishing, can you give me some extra minutes? Are you still alive? <laughs> yes? Say yes, just yes. to confirm. Yes. <laughs> okay. I have to put some cotton to see the... <laughs> if there is some so since we mentioned the idea of, of, of the Venu Gita and, and the flute, and so many things <clears throat> we can say about the flute, but I wanted to finish sharing with you some very nice, and also recently I've been studied the Brajavilastava by Raghunath Das Goswami, which is a very nice book about <clears throat> offering pranam to all different inhabitants of Vrindavan. Before going to Vrindavan, actually I started reading that, I asked Guru Maharaj, like, I'm going to Vrindavan, so I thought maybe studying this book will be a good way to enter Vrindavan before entering Vrindavan. Because the whole verse, the whole book are like, hundreds of verses offering pranam to each one. Just show the Nanda, Dula, Subal, Madhumangal, Krishna, Radha, the trees, the birds, the, the, the river, Purnamasi, everyone. And you get to know, of course, each one of them more. So he gave the blessings for that. He said, yeah, that's a very important book, just in case, <laughs> for you to know. And in there, we, have, we find two verses, which are like a pranam mantra to the flute. I want to share those verses just briefly with you. Verses 48 and 49, for those who would like to see them more in detail. So I'll go straight to the to the English translation in this case, and, and, and I'll ask you some minutes for sharing some ideas in that connection. So there are two verses, but the two are interconnected. So Sri Dasko Swami says, <clears throat> Aho! I always offer my obeisances unto the most fortunate morally flute, who is nourished by drinking the nectar of Krishna's lips, day and night, without obstruction, and who takes away Sri Radha's great loving peak, peak, like man. It's right, like peak, queer. Yeah, well, sulkiness, sulky mood. Which takes away Sri Radha's great loving peak, Salkimod, with its sweet sounds. Brinda and other girl messengers used many flattering words. Madhumangal and other boyfriends used many joking words. Sri Krishna himself fell at her feet, and her girlfriends used intimidating threats. 
Nothing could pacify Shirada's turbulent, loving peak, silkiness, but the sound of Krishna's flute. I always praise this most fortunate Saki, the Vamsi flute. So, these are the two verses, which one glorifies the Morli flute, the other one glorifies the Vamsi flute. There are three main flutes, as we mentioned, Morli, Vamsi, Benu. So, the, the Vamsi and the Morli are feminine, female in nature, and the Benu is male in nature, interestingly. So, that's why here he's calling their, the flute the Saki. Uh, because, but although the Benu, that is the main name of the flute here in this chapter, is male in nature, and these mantras glorify the Murli and the Bamsi flutes which are female in nature. Uh, we are including these two other flutes into the equation of our Benu Gita. Because there are many other praises. I mean, all the praises that are in these verses for the Bamsi and the Murli also apply to the Benu. It's not that do not apply. For example, in Ujbal Nilamani, Rupa Goswami is saying that the Benu is supreme. Because the sulkiness of Sri Radha is destroyed simply when hurry blowing through it. So it's the same thing saying about the Benu. So you can just replace here Benu, Bamsi, Murli. So again, the flute is very powerful. Nujbal Nilamani Rupa Goswami mentioned that the flute sound is the greatest of all Udipanas. He gets to say that even. But the flute sound of Krishna is the greatest of all Udipanas. And specifically these two verses... Glorify the fruit in the the flute in the context of destroying Radha's sulky mood or man, which sometimes is not easy to destroy. Basically, to say that Lalita Devi is, is Sri Radha's guru in man. Lalita Devi is the one who, who tells many times Sri Radha, uh, "You have you get you have to get angry with that rascal. Uh, be more strong in your sulky mood. Do not break it." Uh, that Krishna did that, did that, did that, and you develop, dedicate so much to him, and he, how he replies to that, he doesn't come to the kunj, he goes to Chandravli, mm, such a womanizer, such a rascal, be angry with him. So Srirada enters into that mode following <laughs> Lalita's instruction. Mm. So it's intense, Lalita is intense. Ugrani Srinha, there is nothing in comparison, <laughs> just to give you an idea. Because who is Srinha Devi ultimately? Shamsundra. And Sundar is falling at the feet of Sri Radha, mm-hmm. who is instructed by Lalita in that mood. So what does, must it be Lalita Devi? No? It's intense mood. <laughs> but here it is described that even though that loving peak or sulkiness is so difficult like to break, mm-hmm. the flute is able to do it. That's a particular way of glorifying the flute. So, so it is said that by narrating this glorious Srila Raghunadasko Swami, the author of this verse is envisioning one particular lila that this gives one example of how this happens. So I would like to finish reading, sharing one account given by Ananda Gopal Goswami, who, who was an, uh, a Rasika Vaishnava from the Advaita Paribar, very well known by his commentaries on Vilap Kusumanjali and other literatures. So he very nicely describes the background to these verses. So I will read this and with this we are finishing today. It says like this. It's like a summary. One day, Sri Radha was eagerly waiting for her lover in a kunja when he came to her with the signs of enjoyment of another heroine on him. And this caused her peak. Do you follow this, the, the, the situation? Sri Radha has been all night long preparing the 
forced Bauer for Krishna to come. He never came at the appropriate time. And when he comes totally late, almost the sun is coming, he comes with all the signs of the sacrifice of Cupid on his body, of the loving battle just coming from a country with Chandravali or someone like him. So Sri Radha is seeing that, man, so she becomes angry with Krishna. Everybody, Krishna as well as the Sakis, was, were aggrieved because of Manini's long-lasting peak. So that's the name of Sri Radha when she enters in Man. She becomes Manini. Manini is she who is in Man. There are many names from Sri Radha like this. Virahini, Manini, Pagalini. No, like, he's like a mad woman, Pagalini. Or she's in Viraha in separation, Virahini. When she's in Man, Manini. And so on. So everyone was suffering because of her suffering. Because... She's suffering in that moon. It's part of the Lila, of course. It's enhancing rest at the same time. The different clever and flattering words of Brinda and her girl messengers could not remove her peak. Remember, peak means this sulkiness. The different funny and suggestive words of Madhu Mangal and his bodies were unable to remove Srimati's peak. So all the different attempts were made there, no? First the Brind and her messengers, then Madhu Mangal who will make laugh everyone, anyone, but in this case it didn't work. Priyanar Masakas, we are in an intimate setting. And finally, after Gopi's try didn't work, Gopa's try didn't work, finally, the guilty Krishna himself fell at Manini's foot soles, floating in his own tears, but still Srimati's peak was not broken. Krishna rolling on the ground of Sri Radha, totally wet with his own tears, like a little kunda of his own tears, begging forgiveness. She's still unbroken man. Sitting with her back towards him, she completely rejected him. Just imagine, you have someone pulling out your feet crying and you just like... <laughs> Seeing that both Radha and Sham were suffering hardships, the Sakis also undertook different efforts to break Radha's peak by speaking to her. First were Brinda and her girl messengers. Now this, the, the intimate personal friends of Sri Radha are coming, trying to implore, please save his life. Basically, that was the argument at this point. Krishna is about to die if you don't break your man. He's dying. Look at him. Save his life. But to no avail. Manini silently sat there, weeping and breathing heavily. Everyone is upset with anxiety and anguish. Just then, whatever everything was about to become a tragedy, literally, one Saki told Sham, told Krishna, Hey, have you forgotten the glories of your flute? Take shelter of your flute, just once, and let's see what will happen. Thus, Sam Sundar then took his flute to his flower-like li flower lips and blew in it. Sam's heartache, heart heartache of separation from Surada became manifest, was expressed in the unclear, sweet sounds of the flute. And as soon as that sound entered into Srimati's ear holes, ear holes she became unsteady. No? She was very fixed in man, but now everything started to shake. So she became unsteady, and gone was her peak. The Sakis then glorified the fortunate flute, 
who was able to remove Srimati's peak and establish the meeting of the divine pair for that day. So happy ending. Thanks. Due to the flute always. No? So that's the meaning. The background lila to this particular verse. So in this way, some words regarding the flute, and in the same way that Srila Raghunadas Goswami is praising the flute, we also follow in his footsteps, trying to glorify Sri Benu and his Amshidwani, and preparing ourselves for, to begin officially Benu Gita tomorrow. So today we will put our narration to rest, hopefully following the words and spirit of Srila Das Goswami, Srila Sukadeva Goswami. Tomorrow we will continue with verse number seven. Srila Gurudev Kizaj, Sriman Mahaprabhu Kizaj, Sri Harinam Sankirtan Kizaj, Sri Sri Dauji Gopalji Kizaj, Sri Srantara Srimad Bhagavatan Kizaj, Sri Benugit Kizaj, Tirubab Mahur Shakti Sri Udalandati Takul Kizaj, Gaur Bhaktavrindu Kizaj, Gaur Priman Kizaj.